Okay. So this morning I only have one question so far, and uh, others may come from it, or there may be some in the room. The question is a simple one, but yet very profound as well, and uh, you'll understand it when I read it. Here's the question. Nearly every time in the New Testament, uh, sorry, nearly every time the New Testament uses the word love, the Greek word it's translated as agape. Exactly what kind of love is agape love or agape, depending on your preference? What are its important characteristics, biblically speaking? So the word love is used very much in our Bibles, and there are um, pretty much three different words, Greek words for love in our Bibles. Who knows the, the three words? One is agape, we've said that one. Philo, phileo, you may think of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love, which is also in our Bibles. Um, so that's a, a more of a friendship kind of love. You have friends, you love your friends. And then there is another one. Yeah, eros, you're right, eros, which is where we get the word um, erotic. That's the love between a, a husband and a wife. Um, shared in the, the marriage bed. But then there's this other word, which has already been referenced, which is agape. And what, what does it mean? This is the most frequent use of the word love. And it is, again, it's everywhere and it's commanded. And if this is commanded, not if, since this is commanded, then... What exactly are we supposed to be doing um, with this word love? So, definition. The word actually means to, uh, to take pleasure in, to wish well to, to long for. It has the idea of um, other person-centered, other person-focused, to do the most good for someone else. It's, uh, it's not a selfish kind of love. Um, with, with the main idea. But that, that gets kind of tricky because the Pharisees, uh, it says that they loved their positions, they loved their, uh, you know, the attention, they, they loved what they were receiving, and guess what word was used there? Well, agape. When we know the Pharisees did not have a, a pure and holy and selfless love, but it was the idea that they... Um, they, they had pleasure, they delighted in, they had a preference for these uh, positions. And so the word could be used both by sinners as well as by um, believers. It is the love that prefers another over self, which is completely uh, contradictory to the nature of mankind. Because by nature, what are we? We're selfish. We think about ourselves by nature. Everything we do is about us. Um, the thing that offends people most is not that God is sinned against. 
It's that they are. We love ourselves more than we even love God. I mean, ask yourself, when was the last time you were in tears, broken over the fact that God is dishonored, not just by you, but by the world? You look around and you see it everywhere. God is, He is belittled. He's demeaned. He is mocked. People think that they can get over on God, that He's a a simpleton, that He can just be fooled. They have these plans for the day of judgment that they're going to argue their way out of God's righteousness and His justice. Uh, The world despises God. But when has that ever broken your heart or mine? When do we weep? What I'm trying to show you is that selfishness is everywhere. And it's the natural bent. And think of the things that have upset you the most in your life. Has it been directly connected to how someone has treated you? Does that mean we're not supposed to be upset if someone mistreats us? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is, the love of self, even in believers, is present and must be fought against. And what God commands us, the greatest commandment is to agape God first. Not our neighbor, not ourselves, not our family, but God first. So how do we think, if we take the definition of love, which is, again, to prefer others, to delight in, to take pleasure in, to think well of, to focus on someone else and not self, then how do we do that for God, who needs nothing? Uh, God is not in any way made better by your love for Him, right? Uh, God is not in any way um, improved upon by your obedience, by your devotion, by your commitment. So how is it What does it look like to love God with the agape kind of love? We we always have to start with God, right? We don't want to start with us. We don't want to start with our families. We don't want to start with our neighbors or the lost. We always want to start with God because everything is about Him. Um, Everything is for Him. Everything is through Him. It's all, God is central. Uh, Christ is central. The Spirit of God is central. So how can you love the Trinity with an agape love? Who has some thoughts, some ideas? Or have you ever thought about loving God? Well, of course you do. Think about loving God. Um, what does it look like? Although you're asking for questions, right? I mean, for comments. Sure, yes, sir.
Yeah, well said. Uh, to to love God is to so great exercise. Have you ever sought the Scripture for the things that delight God, that please Him? I mean, have you ever just made a list? These are the things that delight God. These are the things that please Him. These are the things that He loves. You know, the the the, the, the beautiful thing. Uh, I remember years ago, um, older brother in the faith. And he said, you know, people treat God like he's an it. Not, not, not a person, not, not someone who has uh, emotions, not someone who can weep, not someone who can be grieved, not someone who, ha- who can delight and have joy and take pleasure. And um, it's, a, it's an excellent exercise to search the scriptures and go through and this delights God, this pleases God. Uh, isn't that what we do with the people that we love? What is it that, that makes you happy? I want to do that. What is it that makes you sad? I want to avoid that. And of course, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but it's my purpose to bring delight and bring pleasure and avoid bringing um, suffering, sorrow, despair to you. That's what we do to people that we love. And so God, uh, the great God who made us, there are things that delight him. And Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. I mean, there's a way to show that you love God, to obey him. What, what, and then you go, okay, well, what has Jesus said? What does he want us to do? What has he commanded? The, the Lord of all lords. And you know what? Some of his commandments, uh, they're very simple. They're not burdensome for the believer. They're very simple things like be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. Faith pleases God. Why does faith please God? It goes back to the question that was asked, maybe it was last week, uh, because it's treating God according to who He is. He is worthy to be trusted, isn't He? He is completely worthy to be believed. So when you trust God, when you have faith, you're treating God as though He is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. Um, you had your hand up. Well, not necessarily God's love because... Uh, we also can agape things, and we can even agape sinful things. To yeah, the the simplest would be um, to prefer that over self. Yeah, so you can. About God treating God as though He is trustworthy, dependable. Oh, you good? Yeah.
Yeah, well, we are created in his image, right? So if someone comes to you and says, uh, I'd like to trust you, but I'm having a hard time. I'd like to believe you, but I'm really struggling. Uh, anybody be pleased with that statement? Would anybody rejoice and smile? You, you would uh, either be offended or you would be uh, hurt. Either way, it would not be a, a delightful response. And again, we're created in God's image. When someone trusts us, when someone believes us, it does delight us. And we're made in the image of our God. And so um, that's why, the, the, again, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, first thing requested in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. God, please make your name holy, set apart, distinct, who you really are. May that be felt and responded to as you really are. So loving God first and foremost, if we love him as he should be loved, if we set our mind, our heart, our affection, our will, our intention, our emotion, everything on him, first and foremost, preferring him over ourselves, then you will be far less likely to fall into temptation, to fall and to stray and to stumble because you are thinking about him. Sin is selfish by nature, right? We think about ourselves, and that's why we give in to sin. We think about what we're going through, and that's why we give in to doubt. So, agape, first and foremost, to love God. But then we're supposed to love one another. And we actually do love God by loving one another, because he's commanded us to love one another. Uh, who has he commanded us to love? Our neighbor, uh, yeah, our enemies, the brethren, that's uh, everybody, right? I mean, you got your neighbor, you got the church, you have your enemy, that's everybody. No, he hasn't commanded us to love ourselves. You know why? Because we already do. In fact, that's the problem. We love ourselves far too much. We are, that's the whole self. Right? We are focused on self. Um, well, depending, again, what do we mean by love? So if we're saying to love self is healthy, then we would say, okay, then the way that I love myself is by doing what is best for me. And what is best for me? To love God. Right? To be selfless and focus on others. That the best way for me to love self is not to he prays upon myself to think more highly of myself than I ought to. It's actually to think about myself according to what God's word says. And his word says some pretty staggering things about humanity. Right? Pretty, <clears throat> that can be pretty discouraging. <clears throat> but in spite of the fact that we are so, so stained by sin, God responds to us with the selfless love. And that's all the motivation that we need to love him. He said, I have loved you first, right? You love me because I loved you. Respond to my love. And then not only respond to my love by loving me, but love others as I have loved you. So God's love, which is why it has to be first, because we're going to respond to his love in trust and love for him. We're going to respond to his love in selfless, sacrificial service for others. We always got to start with God. The world would say, first you need to love yourself. 
you know, you have low self-esteem, you have these issues, what you need to do is just, you know, tell yourself you're this and look in the mirror and, you know, heap these words upon yourself. That's, that's, that is, that's devilish. That is, you do not need to do that. You already think about yourself far too much and that's the problem. We are constantly thinking about ourselves. How's this going to work out for me? How's this going to turn out for me? What is this going to benefit me? I don't like what they said to me. I don't like how they treated me. They didn't say this. They didn't do that. It's self, self, self. God says, get out of yourself and think of me. Set your mind upon me. And when you die to yourself, when you, Jesus, anyone who wants to come after me, let him do what? Deny self. That's the first step. You want to follow Christ? Self has to stay outside. Deny self. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So in fought, look into Christ. You see the perfect example, the perfect display of a selfless, sacrificial, God-centered, focused, other person-serving life of love. The best way to look, if you want a definition of love, behold Christ. Everything he did is love. Everything he said is love. Now that means sometimes love doesn't sound like love. Right? Jesus warned people. Jesus rebuked people. Jesus called out sin. He called out hypocrisy. He called people's... He put people's idols before them. Go and sell all that you have. Give the proceeds to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had great treasure. Well, really, the great treasure had him. He agaped his treasure, but he didn't agape God. So, beholding Christ, looking to him, seeing his example is where you're going to get the best definition. So, the people in your life, first and foremost, are you loving God? None of us love God as he should be loved. Now, let that humble us all. Anyone who says, this person is not loving me the way I feel I should be loved. Anybody ever struggle with that? You don't have to raise your hands. I do. This person is not giving me the love I feel I deserve. Okay. You've never loved God. Not one moment of your life as he deserves to be loved. And he's perfect. He is absolutely perfect perfect in every way and you've never loved him as he should be loved do you think you're actually going to love someone else better who is sinful who will disappoint you who will discourage you who will step on your toes who will offend you you think you're ever actually going to love another person better than you love the god who made you no this on one hand it's it's sad on the other hand it's it's uplifting you are going to fail at love you're going to fail. The standard is God's love. You don't love God. You're not going to love one another perfectly. You're going to fail. Every day you set out to love someone, you're going to fail at it. While that's true, the command still stands. Your aim every day is perfection. You don't make an excuse and say, well, I'm not going to love perfectly, so why try? If you love me, you keep my commandments. Questions?
should extend grace and mercy and patience towards others. Excellent point. People aren't going to love us the way we feel we deserve. Because, again, thinking rightly, biblically, do any of us deserve to be loved? No. What do we all deserve? Death. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve the hottest part of hell. And the sad thing is, we don't actually believe that in the moment. We know it's true, but when someone doesn't love us as we feel, we show our theology. Right? How often we say, you know what, I, actually, I deserve that and much worse. <laughs> You've actually given me mercy. You've actually given me more than I deserve. We struggle with that. So, okay, the aim is perfect love. We fail. We fail to love others, which means others are going to fail to love us. So, as my wife so wonderfully said, therefore, what do you give to people who fail to love you as you should? Mercy, grace, patience. And where do we get that from? Who else shows mercy, grace, patience by our failure to love as we should. Jesus, God. It brings us right back to the beginning. We start with God. You've never loved God as he deserves to be loved, and yet look at how he treats you. Look at how long-suffering he's been. Look at how patient he's been. Look at how, how kind he's been. Have you ever really messed up Christian, you really messed up, and you're thinking, okay, the lightning bolts are coming. And rather than lightning bolts, there's a rainbow, your favorite meal is being prepared. I mean, everything just kind of opens up for you, and you're like, God, your kindness really is meant to lead to repentance. I don't deserve anything. I thought I was going to be crushed under boulders from heaven for what I just did. And instead, you open up the windows of heaven and pour out upon me blessings that I can't even receive. He says, okay, now go do likewise. Go do likewise, not just for those who love you, but go do likewise for those who hate you, who persecute you, who belittle you, who betray you, who abuse you, who spitefully use you. Do good to those who do wrong to you, and thereby you will be like your Father in heaven. saying and doing 
Yeah. Right. It, it does. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's it's important. So uh, what Brother Casey was saying is that in our world, love is pretty much you know, it means warm, fuzzy feelings, butterflies in the tummy, sweaty palms, um, you know, sweet saying sweet nothings. Um, I don't know what nothings are. You say sweet nothings, but. But the scripture is talking about an, an action. Uh, 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 and the, the, what I mean by preferring others is um, you are thinking about them and putting their needs, interests first, and that is fueling action. Uh, and yes, you can serve, like loving your enemy who's punching you in the face doesn't mean you can't defend yourself but after they're done punching you and you've been able to defend yourself you're mad you're angry that you've been punched and you should be because that's sin god is not pleased that you were punched in the face but after the whole situation is done and maybe they're in handcuffs or um, something else the feeling you have for them is probably not going to be warm and fuzzy right but the action of i'm going to pray for you um, I'm going to ask that the Lord would have mercy on you. The, that is an intentional act of the will. But I will say this, that it's possible to do the other as well, right? To have action without emotion. And the Lord said, um, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. He said, I despise your feasts. I despise your songs. You're doing all of the motions, but I want your heart. That's real love, right? To love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our will. The whole self. God has made us um, not just a, a one department kind of person. We, we do have emotions. And if it's possible for us to love with action and emotion, that's just better. But if you struggle with that, and sometimes, look, I don't have the emotion here, but I am loving. I'm doing acts of love because of the, the love that I have for God, His Word, and I'm going to do that, and I'm praying that God would give me emotions for this person. Amen. Uh, because ultimately, ultimately, I think that is the ideal love that has both action and emotion combined. Yes.
Right. Yeah, uh, you're you're right, and I'm. I would definitely be one of them who struggles with that because selfishness is, you know, like Colossians three, um, put to death what is earthly that dwells within you. It's still in us every day, uh, not just once a day, but all day. You have to put to death what is earthly within you because. We're still in this world. The battle's not over. Sanctification is still happening. God is still making us more and more into the image of Christ. And when we look at Christ, when we really behold Him, even as He was suffering on the cross, as people were, as people were mocking and yelling things, laughing at Him, you read those words from Him and... For lack of better terms, you can feel the love coming off the page. You can feel the love that he has for this thief, this brigand who was more than a thief. You know, the two thieves on a cross. You didn't crucify people who just stole stuff. This was a murderer, a robber who took people and did horrible things to them. Crucifixion was only reserved for the worst of the worst. And here's this man who has committed all of these great offenses against Christ himself because he's God. He's the lawgiver. And he's mocking him right along with everyone else. And he turns and you see the instant love that Christ has for this man. You know, he doesn't make him wait. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going I'm to put you in the silent corner. I'm going to give you the silent treatment until you've made yourself worthy of my love. That's not what he does. There's an immediate response. Immediate response. You see the same thing. Remember when the, when the Pharisees were so angry with Jesus because of his love for tax collectors and prostitutes and how he was with them and giving them truth. And they were so mad. And what did Jesus do? He taught a parable for the purpose of showing them this is what God is like. What parable was that? The prodigal son. And here you see a father greatly offended. Here's this son who says to his father, I wish you were dead. I want your stuff. I want nothing to do with you. Give me my inheritance now. He goes, he wastes it, squanders it in wicked, reckless living. He's at the end of himself, not because of love for his father, because of his hunger. He's starving. And he says, you know what? The slaves and the hired hands in my father's house eat better than I am. I'm going to go back to my father and say, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't, I don't deserve to be your son. Let me just work for food. 
That's his motivation coming back. We get the whole tale. Jesus is telling us this. And as he's coming, the father sees him because he's looking for him on the road. And he doesn't just walk up to him like, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm. he runs. First century patriarchs did not run. They wore long robes. He would have to pick up this thing. You could see his kneecaps as he's running towards his son. And he wraps his arms around him. He's smothering him with kisses. His son is trying to say, look, I'm sorry. I met. He doesn't even let him finish. He, go get the fatted calf. Get a ring. Get a grove. Get this. Set the party. Let's go. There is emotion along with the action. Now, again, this is God. He's perfect. He's able to do that. We struggle. And we got to be real with one another. That is a struggle to love. I know we feel like we're the most lovable person in the world, but guess what? <laughs> You're not, and neither am I. The only one who is easy to love is God, and we don't love him as we should. We really need to understand we're difficult to love, and it's difficult to love with God's definition because love is, un- is impossible apart from the Spirit of God. What is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love, which tells you you can't do it if you're lost. You can do imitations. You can do some things. Of course, there's the love that a mother has for her child and the love that a child has for their mother. And there's all this, you know, there's resemblances. But to give supernatural love is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't just zap us with this power to just love everybody. No. How many commands? In scripture, say love. I mean, if it's just, just natural and you don't even have to work at it, why command us? Clearly, we're being given instruction to cling to Christ, to cry out in prayer, to search the scripture, to hide it in our heart, to meditate upon it, because love, real love, is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. And even when the Holy Spirit helps you, you still don't love perfectly. So, I have 98 verses here about love. Now, of course, I'm not going to read them all. But I will read some. Just meditate on these. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 1 Corinthians 13.4-5, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Do everything in love. We talked about what Jesus said. If you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Jesus says this in John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Colossians three fourteen. 
And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ephesians 4.2 Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, love each other deeply. That's an important phrase. Deeply. Because... Love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 12.9 Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So, you know somebody in your life who is living in unrepentant sin. You know someone in your life who is uh, a member of a cult, a false religion, sitting under blasphemous teaching. What does love say? It says, go to them and tell them the truth. Don't let them continue to sit under that which leads them to destruction. Uh, Spurgeon tells this story about the day of judgment and it's really about a mother and and her children, but here's the mother who is a Christian and the child who is being ushered into the gates of hell in this conversation that he imagined in his mind of how the child is is crying out to the mother like, you knew when you didn't tell me. You knew when you didn't correct me. You just let me go my own way. And it's a sobering thing. If there's someone that you love, that you know, is in unrepentant sin or they're sitting under teaching, whether it's a false religion or even pseudo-Christianity, that you know, you know leads to destruction. The loving thing is not to just let people go. Love takes risks for the other person and says to them, you are in danger. That means you may lose family, you may lose friends, you may lose acquaintances, but love hates what is evil. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. John 15:13 Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's an example of that. We preserve our life by not speaking up. Whether it's evangelism, counsel, instruction, because I don't want people to think bad of me. I don't want them not to like me. I don't want them to say I don't want to be your friend anymore but to lay down your life for your friend is love. That's love. Romans 13.8, just a few more. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Owe no one anything but to love them, for love is the fulfillment of the law. We owe one another love. I owe you love, you owe me love. And we're indebted until we leave. So let's pay those debts and love one another with the power of the Holy Spirit 
Holy man. Any uh, questions or thoughts? Other verses? good. No, I didn't, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, God loves a cheerful giver, not just a giver. It's better to give than to receive, but it's even better to give cheerfully. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, Whatever you're giving, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? Don't sound trumpets. Not just money, whatever you give. You give of your time, you give of yourself, you give of you know, wisdom, instruction, counsel, whatever it is. Um, a lot of people like to give, but the context is giving to people who don't like you, giving to people who don't deserve it. In 2 Corinthians, giving when you are impoverished yourself. It's one thing to give when you have a bunch in the bank and you're like, here you go, enjoy. It's another thing when you're like, I don't know where my next meal may come from. But I'm not saying for you to give, you know, not this health, wealth, foolishness that TBN talks about. You know, give your last and God will give you, No. But the reality of 2 Corinthians, these people were poor. They were super poor. They had already given, and they wanted to give again. That's the illustration that's being used for giving. Giving cheerfully when you don't have much left doesn't come naturally. Giving to people who mistreat you does not come naturally, not cheerfully. You can't just do that because you have a personality. You can't just do that because you muster up your strength and grit your teeth. You can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Jesus said to pray for more of the Spirit, right? But he also said that you need to pray without ceasing. He tells the story of the widow who continually asked. He tells the story of the friend who continually knocks. Meaning, this, this, this help to love, this help to cheerfully give, may not come the first time you pray, or the second, or the third, and you're in the moment, and you need that help, and you're continuing to be barraged with whatever. You're like, Lord, please, I need help to love cheerfully and not just go through the motions. So what do you do? You go in faith. I don't have the feeling yet, but I'm going to act. I can do that. By the will, Lord, you have given me the ability to do something so I can do what I can do until you give me the emotions that accompany this. That's faith. Yeah. And we use that word enemy pretty lightly, you know, somebody 
talks about us at work or somebody doesn't want to be our friend or whatever, but there are people in this world who have real enemies. You know, I, I, I can't help but think about Afghanistan, these terrorists, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and who else knows? I mean, it's, it's basically going to be a, a haven for every terrorist organization. I could see Boko Haram and ISIS. I mean, this is going to gather their troops together. Here are the enemies of Christ. Here are the enemies of the cross, the enemies of the people of God. And there are Christians. I sent you all that information, and there's stuff happening that they're face to face with enemies. And the command from Jesus doesn't change. I don't know if you or I will ever f come face to face with a real enemy who wants to take your life. But if you do, the command from Christ doesn't change. That doesn't mean that you're not able to defend yourself. It doesn't mean that we don't have the Second Amendment. You, you know, I'm not saying that. But there is a way to love your enemy who wants to take your life. And when that day comes, if that day comes to you or to me, the commandment of Christ remains. And the only way, the only way they could do it, or Richard Wormbrand, or Hudson Taylor, or Adonai Judson, or Spurgeon, or, or, or Paul, or anyone else, is because the Lord supplies the need. According to the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. So if you feel, as you hear about love, and you're like, oh, I can never do that, congratulations. You're on the right track. You can't. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And he not only commands, but he gives grace to supply what he commands, as Augustine said. Any other thoughts, closing Yeah. If we're going to actually accomplish any of those commands, like the, our focus is not going to be primarily on another human, it's going to be on the Lord. Right. The Christian love is not accomplished outside of loving God first. Absolutely. Apart from loving God first, right so how's your love on a scale to 1 to 10 you go to the hospital they ask you that right how's your pain scale to 1 to 10 well how's your love on a scale to 1 to 10 all of us need help there's only one who can help us and only one who will Guess what it says about him? God is love. So let's cry out to the one who is love. Father, you are love. You do love. You've commanded us to love. And apart from your help, apart from your spirit, we won't love. We'll redefine love. We'll make it convenient. We'll 
basically just do what comes easy to us and condemn others who don't do what we're doing and, and pat ourselves on the back and think ourselves righteous. That, that's not what you command, Lord. You command us to do what we cannot do so that we would rely on you, so that we would cry out to you and cling to you. We need you always. We never stop needing you. Apart from you, we can do nothing, including love. Lord, we need you. So we ask that you would give us grace, that we would look to you first, that we would focus on loving you first. And from the overflow of your love for us, we would love you back. We would respond to your love. And that love would overflow onto others who are around us. Because we've been so loved, we would love others as we have been loved. Father, for those who are facing enemies, for those who are facing people who have hurt them, betrayed them, wronged them, Lord, you know, you know better than all. Your son was wronged and betrayed. He knows what it is to love enemies. Father, I pray that you would help those who are going through this thing right now and give them grace by your spirit to do what cannot be done by human effort. And that those who receive that love would give glory to you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.